If you're in business, you probably have a website, but can your site handle your growth? How many visitors before your site slows down or crashes? What about storage and data security? From web hosting to virtual servers, Pair Networks provides the online infrastructure you need to start, grow, and flourish. When it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. No frustrating chatbots are sitting on hold for hours. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. That's P-A-I-R.com. And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show, OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we've got an amazing guest. He's done our show before. He's a best-selling author and economic visionary, and his prediction is coming true right now. Since 2014, we've been telling you and warning you about the coming global financial collapse. We did a 16-expert series on it two years ago explaining why it was going to happen, why it was inevitable. And it looks like we're in the process of it happening right now. Everyone talks about the coronavirus. Oh, the coronavirus. No. This was going to happen regardless. It didn't matter about the coronavirus. Long story short is that there's too much debt in the world. That debt will never be repaid. And a lot of countries, well, especially in the U.S., they have a central bank, which is a printing press for the currency. So what they do sometimes is they say, okay, well, at least now they're going to give all Americans a $1,200 or $2,000 check. So people are like, oh, my God, free money. That's great. No, it's not great. They're just printing money out of existence that has no goods or services attached to it. And when all that money goes into the economy, it just means that the cost of goods and services go higher because of inflation because there's an excess amount of money chasing fewer goods. I mean, it's basic economics. What gets to the point why we're going to see this destruction and likely hyperinflation is because there is too much money. The money's become too worthless. And the U.S. is in a very unique position because we're the world's reserve currency, which means that other nations have to exchange their currencies for dollars in order to trade oil and get other goods and services. So when our currency hyperinflates, it's going to have an incredible destructive uh, event. I mean, it seems like there's going to be the world largest event in human history. And uh, some people are like, well, how could this happen? There's this, you know, you don't want to see it. I, it's hard for me to even talk about it, but I, I'm seeing it because I'm willing to accept the truth and see what it is. The same way a doctor looks at a person who's drinking alcohol all the time. The person who's drinking alcohol every day doesn't think there's a problem because they're not showing symptoms. But when they show those symptoms towards the end, they know, uh, you know, the alcoholism was the cause. Now, the doctor may be the only person in that room that's like, diagnosing and analyzing it, seeing it because he's willing to see it. And that's what our featured guess is. And that's what a lot of people in the freedom-based movement are. You know, they've seen this coming for a long time. So this show is about preparing for it. With what little time we have left, some things you can do to prepare for it. Long story short is the current
currency in our pockets, the currency in our banks, it'll, it'll still be there. It's just going to have very limited purchasing power. And during hyperinflation, it loses almost all of its purchasing power. So one of the best things you can do to protect yourself right now is to acquire any type of precious metals, gold or silver or uh, you know any kind of precious metals or tangible items, items with intrinsic value. Because when the currency collapses, people are still going to need those basic necessities. You're going to have to find a means of exchange. Now, your currency may have collapsed. Your dollars and paperback money may collapse. But if you've transferred that energy of those dollars into intrinsic items, those intrinsic items will retain their purchasing power and you'll be able to purchase other things and whatever new financial paradigm. So it can sound a little out there because it does sound strange because it goes against all the normal bias that we've known for a long period of time. But financial paradigms shift. There's always changes in the power structure. We're just not accustomed to seeing them in our lifetime. And we're certainly not accustomed to seeing something this big and this impacting happen. Now, again, this is probably going to be the largest event in human history because of how many people it affects. We think the coronavirus is big. No, the coronavirus is the earthquake. The financial collapse is the tsunami that follows afterwards. Believe me. Let's begin tonight's program. Welcoming to the pro back to the program is a very special guest. For the last 10 years, or a lot longer than that, he's been right about just about everything that's happened in the economy. That's why the show is tended to be called Peter Schiff is Right About Everything. And Peter is the co-founder of Europe Pacific Capital. He's also the founder of Schiff Gold. For more about him by going to his website at shiftgold.com. Mr. Schiff, welcome back to the show. I am so honored to have you with us, and thank you for being so far ahead of the curve and giving people the opportunity to prepare for the greatest economic crisis, it seems like, in global history. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks for hosting me. <laughs> My pleasure. So your prediction about the big crash, it's coming true right before our very eyes. Can you please explain to people who are just getting now to the up to speed what is happening and what can we expect at least in the next three months in the U.S. economy? Well, first of all, you know, people are paying attention to the coronavirus and the immediate impact that, you know, you can see surrounding the virus. And, yeah, I mean, the virus is certainly a problem. I mean, to the, the extent to which it is a problem, I don't know. You know, you hear mixed things. Um, but clearly, you know, the virus uh, is relatively contagious. And to certain people, it's uh, very, very bad, right? I mean, it could lead to death, particularly people who are older. Although older people tend to be more susceptible to all sorts of things that go wrong, so it's not you know, you know outrageous that it, it, they would be more susceptible to this. But there's a much larger issue here uh, than the coronavirus. I mean, from the from this from the economic perspective, uh, and because in that in that sense, the coronavirus is more like the pin. The problem is the bubble, uh, and the bubble has been pricked, and uh, it was going to get pricked anyway. So it's not like you know. But for the coronavirus, everything would have been fine. It wouldn't have been fine. It would have been something else. And, you know, this is not the pin that I had been forecasting. So it's not like I thought that, you know, I saw this coronavirus thing coming. Um, but I knew something would happen. And even if nothing happened, it, you know, the bubble will just deflate all on its own, which is what we had. Uh, but the problem is um, we are now going to have to deal with this problem uh, when we're broke, you know, when we're leveraged to the hilt, when 
corporate America is loaded up with debt, uh, the money they borrowed to finance share buybacks at prices that are now much higher than the stock is, is trading at. And individuals have just borrowed. They've, they've borrowed for credit cards to buy consumer goods. They have auto loans. They have uh, mortgage debt. They have student loans. And nobody has any savings. And now we're having a substantial economic downturn in which all sorts of money is being spent and borrowed, but there's nothing to loan. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, they keep uh, kind of, you know, comparing this to the way the country mobilized and came together for World War II. But what nobody seems to understand is that the way the country got together for World War II is Americans paid much higher taxes. The government tripled taxes, tripled them in World War II. So whatever people were paying before the war, they were paying three times as much after the war started. Um, and in addition to heavily taxing the middle class during World War II, the government borrowed tremendous amounts of money from the middle class. Um, the middle class loaned the U.S. government the equivalent of $4 trillion in today's terms during the war years to fight the war, to pay for all the materials and supplies and, uh, and the troops. And in order to do that, Americans dipped into their savings, and they, uh, they stopped spending. I mean, you know, people weren't traveling. They weren't taking vacations. They weren't going to restaurants. They weren't going to the movie theaters. Uh, by and large, they were staying at home, kind of like they're doing now, although they were going to work. In fact, women that normally were staying at home with the kids, they went to work. Um, but nobody got a bailout. Nobody got a check from the government. Nobody got helped if uh, their business suffered because all their customers were either fighting in a war or staying at home. Uh, and, you know, it was a very difficult time for not just the U.S. economy, but for the global economy. But we were able to meet the crisis because the government had no debt. The, the national debt was tiny and the people were flush. They had no consumer debt. You didn't have credit card debt back then. You didn't have student loans back then. People didn't have automobile loans. I mean, they had cars, but they didn't have loans. They, they paid for the cars. Uh, so we were, you know, we had a viable economy in, in, to rely on. But today, the way the government wants to meet this crisis is by loaning money to the people. Instead of borrowing from the people, the government wants to loan money to the people, except the government is already broke. The government is the largest debtor in the world. How is the largest debtor going to loan any money to anybody? The government wants to give tax cuts. Instead of raising taxes like we did in World War II, they want to cut taxes. Well, we already have trillion-dollar-a-year deficits. How can you cut taxes? Well, everybody thinks that we have a magic bullet. We have a, a solution, and that's the Federal Reserve, that we're just going to print money and send it out to people. And instead of taxing people, we're just going to print money and spend that. And, and, and this is supposedly a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, you know, I mean, if it was that simple, why didn't we do that during World War II? Instead of telling people to pay higher taxes, why didn't we just print money? <laughs> because that doesn't work. You know, all these guys keep talking about we need helicopter money. We need to drop money from helicopters. They don't even understand that the origin of that term, helicopter money, was Milton Friedman. And he used it as a joke. He was saying that when the government prints money and spends it, it's like you know, dropping money out of helicopters, and it doesn't work. It just, it's just inflation. It just causes prices to go up. So he wasn't recommending helicopter money as an actual economic proposal. He was using it as an analogy to show why it doesn't work, to why it's stupid, 
Like, hey, you might as well just money just drop money out of helicopters because that's obviously not a good policy. But now that's our policy. And, and, and so the, the real crisis that we're creating beyond the, the health threat of the coronavirus is that we're about to destroy the currency. We're about to have massive inflation, maybe hyperinflation, uh, where our money is completely worthless because we're going to print so much of it, tens of trillions, uh, that I think confidence is going to be lost in the dollar, first around the world and then here at home. And, and, and then if you think commerce is ground to a halt now, where do you see what happens when nobody will accept your money? Well, when do you think that's going to happen between now? Because I know that they're going to start issuing checks. And I'll tell you what, I listen to your show almost every night. And you said something about two nights ago that I loved. I think I played it at three times where you said something about what it means to be an American. And I think very few people have said it in a long time. You said, you know, that's not who we are. We're a nation of rugged individuals. We're a nation uh, that, that self-reliant individuals. We're not some nation of people that just, uh, you know, takes a handout. I love that. I love that you said that. I love that you really can Well, that's who we used to be. Yeah. That's, that's not who we are. That's who we were, right? I mean, that's the problem. Everybody, everybody wants something for nothing. Everybody wants the government to take care of them, right? You hear these politicians, you know, you have a right to this. You have a right to that. No, you don't. No one has a right to anything. I mean, you have your rights of, you know, to be left alone. You have the right, you know, to free speech and freedom of the press and to be secure in your, your property. But you don't have the right to the property of others. You don't have a right to health care because no doctor is, you know, required to give you health care. You can, you know, I mean, you have a right to buy the things that you've earned, but you don't have a right to take away the things that other people have earned. But the character of America has changed. We, you know, we used to be a very unique country of rugged individuals that, you know, that, that, that didn't want anything from the government other than, uh, you know, for, to protection of individual rights, which is, you know, they, they didn't want uh, handouts. They didn't want the government to interfere with their lives and interfere with their relationships uh, with employers or with businesses. I mean, we believed in freedom. But we don't, we don't, we don't have those values anymore. I mean, some of us do, but no, not you, the yeah, majority. You do. Ron Paul does. Jared Salente does. Jim Ron, I mean, some of the great people out there are really pushing it. And and I'm very happy to see the media, you know, mainstream media coming back to you and saying, "Well, I guess, I guess, Peter, you were right about a lot of this stuff." But well, they're comes, not. The mainstream. No one in the mainstream media is coming back to me well, and, and saying I was right about anything. Right. They're still kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> pretending I don't exist. <laughs> I don't see more interviews, but when it comes to hyperinflation, I've been warning my family about hyperinflation for 10 years, saying how destructive it's going to be. Between where you see things happening right now, when do you think that will actually hit Main Street? And also, is there anything that people can do to not only prepare for hyperinflation, but actually be successful during hyperinflation? Are there any businesses that you'd recommend yeah. people get into? Well, I don't know how long the lag is going to be because right now the dollar is actually rising pretty sharply based on a lot of liquidity problems, short-term liquidity problems. So people uh, tend to be are scrambling for dollars. And you know, so it's kind of pushing up the exchange rate of the dollar. And that's keeping a lid on prices for us, right? So Oil prices have come down dramatically and other prices are down. So right now, I mean, we're printing all this money and everything seems fine. And so we keep printing more and we keep printing more, except when this short term liquidity squeeze is over, I expect the dollar to come crashing down. And, and then when that happens, that's when prices start to go up. And in the meantime, too, you know, we're going to exhaust 
the supply of goods that we're importing because a lot of the factories in China haven't been producing as much as they had in the past. And so they're just not even going to have a, a lot of products to ship to us. So you're going to see uh, fewer products coming into America, but a lot of money just showing up, getting printed and mailed out to people. Uh, and so then prices are going to start to rise and eventually they're going to they're run out of control because the Fed is not in a position to do anything to stop the increase because that would require big increases in interest rates, uh, which they can't do. That would require the Fed to shrink its balance sheet, but it can't do that. It's expanding its balance sheet uh, massively. So um, they can't stop inflation, so it just ultimately you know, ravages out of control like, like, a, like a fire that you, don't, you can't put out. So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and so what people should be doing – is taking advantage of this short-term rise in the dollar and sell their dollars into this and, you know, buy gold, buy silver. Um, you know, in fact, you know, the price of silver has actually come down, but real world demand has shot up. I mean, I, you know, I actually bought some more uh, silver coins for myself this morning for my company ship gold that'd be shipped to Puerto Rico because I want them just in case I need to use them in commerce for barter. I have plenty in Connecticut, but I moved here and I just didn't bring any with me. And it's, it's, it's over a two-month backlog for shipment. I mean, normally we could ship them out the next day, but so many people are rushing to buy that you know, there's no more silver. You've got to wait for the, the, the mines to produce it and wait for, wait for the companies that, that, that manufacture the coins and the bars to fabricate it. Right? There's a big backlog now. You can, you can, you, anybody can call up my company now and lock in today's price. But you're going to be waiting a while to get your actual coins in the mail because you know, there's a big backlog. So what you're seeing in the markets, the prices, has to do with liquidity and people rushing for cash and selling whatever they have to get it in the financial world. But in the real world, people have already started responding by, by buying silver, by buying gold. Uh, but the price is going to go up once this financial deleveraging really kind of runs and people aren't like, rushing for dollars. Uh, they're going to be realizing that – you know, the bottom's going to drop out of the dollar. So, uh, and, and, you know, markets have gone down. I mean, if you have a stock portfolio and you have U.S. stocks, yeah, they're down about 30% to 40% from their highs now in a matter of weeks. And you may be thinking, well, I have no choice. I, I got to ride this out. Well, you have a choice because even though U.S. stocks have fallen, they're still very expensive despite the decline. That's how overvalued they were. And it's interesting, you know, I mentioned World War II. The, the Dow only fell 30% from peak to trough in World War II. It's already down 36% in the last couple of weeks, and the Russell 2000 is down 44%. So we've already had a bigger decline than the entirety of the decline during World War II, which was far more disruptive to the economy than, than, than the coronavirus. But we haven't even begun falling. But the point is that even though U.S. stocks have fallen, they still remain extremely expensive. On the other hand, foreign stocks have fallen by about the equivalent percentage as the U.S. market, but they didn't start from those extreme levels. So you can buy foreign stocks now uh, for prices that we haven't seen since the 08 financial crisis. The U.S. stock market would still have to drop another 60 to 70% to get to where foreign markets are already trading. So I think what makes sense to do is sell your U.S. stocks now, even if you're doing it at a loss, and using the money to buy these foreign stocks that are much better values, that have gone from being fairly valued to being dirt cheap, where we have tremendous dividend yields and we're buying stocks at very, very low PEs, in many cases, single-digit multiples of their earnings. And uh, these are in currencies that are going to go way up as the dollar crashes. So people should take advantage and try to really get more of their U.S. stocks out 
and, and, and redeploy that money, which is what they can do with me at Europe Pacific Capital. We can get you into these foreign strategies that I have that will do very well uh, in a stagflationary environment, in, in an environment that's similar to the 1970s, only much worse, and that will have a much weaker economy and have much more inflation. So the investment strategies that worked in the 70s will work even better uh, in the 2020s. Peter, a good friend of ours to the show. His name is Chris Wayne. He's the founder of Sons of the Sons of Liberty Academy. He actually did your old radio show, and he's got about 31 million viewers, and he said that you've had a huge impact on him, and you've had a huge impact on me and several other people in this industry. So thank you for all the hard work that you've done. He was, we were talking the other day, and he's saying that um, you know, some Americans can go out and they can buy gold, but the, well, why would a person want to put their money into gold where they, they can buy some silver, being that silver is like what, the ratio is 100 to 1. Do you think that buying silver right now might actually be uh, as equally a good idea or even better to get into in addition to gold? Yeah. I mean, the idea is to buy things when they're cheap. And his, you know, silver has never been this cheap historically. I mean, you can buy over 100 ounces of silver with one ounce of gold. So, yeah, it makes sense to spend some of your gold now on silver. We're encouraging people to do that. If they don't have any silver, they only have gold. I mean, you can call up Shift Gold and you can sell us some gold, which we'll buy from you. And you can use the proceeds to, to buy some silver. So you're spending your gold as money and you're using that money to buy silver. Um, and at some point in the future, if you want, you can sell the silver back to us <clears throat> and get back a lot more gold uh, than, you, than you spent to buy it. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, silver is a really, really good buy, I think, right now. Peter, in addition to you being an expert on the economy, I know that you're very passionate about freedom and the Constitution. I, you know, I can tell the passion in your voice when you talk a lot about history in your shows that you're very passionate about freedom. So when I'm looking at a country like Venezuela, which experienced hyperinflation, you have this tyrannical government that still somehow is in power. So I'm wondering, how is that government still in power with hyperinflation? And then when the U.S. goes through a major economic downturn where the government cannot afford all these things that it's promised— do you foresee the government remaining in power? How would a government like that remain in power? Do you think that we may actually see a breakdown of the federal government because there's no way for them to, to, to pay their, their people? Because some people are saying right now that we're going to go through this yeah. period where it's going to be a hard tyranny. I could foresee it happening, but I always wonder, is tyranny only able to sustain itself if they can pay the, uh, the stooges to, to do the, the dirty work? So what is your perspective? on? Yeah, that? look, I have no idea. There's so many, you know, apocalyptic type scenarios that you can try to contemplate for what's going to happen uh, in an environment where, you know, we have hyperinflation, which means, you know, everybody is getting wiped out. I mean, I mean, we haven't experienced anything like it. It'll be much worse than anything we went through in the, in the Great Depression where, you know, people are completely wiped out. You know, it's not about, you know, losing money. It's about your money losing value. So you still have your money. You just can't buy anything with it. And, and commerce just shuts down. And, you know, I could see a situation where, you know, there's price controls and rationing and shortages and civil unrest and, you know, the government declaring martial law and having, you know, the army in the streets. Although, how's the government going to pay the army with what? You know, so, I, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of problems that, 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 that you could see. And, you know, will there be revolution? Will, you know, individual states try to secede? I mean, I, I, who the hell knows? Uh, what's going to happen or, you know, how tyrannical might the government get, you know, if they just say, look, you know, there's, you know, we're suspending, uh, you know, the Constitution because of this national emergency and, you know, we're, you know, suspending your rights because, you know, whenever there's a crisis, right, the government uses it to uh, to its advantage. Uh, you know, they did this during uh, uh, 9-11. 
you know, we, we are still suffering from the, the legislation that was passed, uh, Patriot Act. Act and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and then, you know, they, they did it again after the financial crisis, and they're doing it now already. They just passed this big bill, uh, you know, mandating uh, paid family medical leave and sick leave, and they're, 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 they've got all kinds of new regulations in the pipeline, and who knows what they're going to do. They're going to bail out a bunch of companies, and the only reason these companies are failing is because the Fed kept interest rates so low and allowed all these companies to lever up. And, um, and, and so now they're going to bail them out with strings attached, and, you know, they're going to put all sorts of tr- – conditions on these companies to basically control them and render them, uh, you know, uh, non-competitive so that they are in constant need of federal money because they'll never be able to succeed uh, with all the requirements that are going to be leveled on them, uh, where these companies are basically going to be run for the benefit of their workers and not their owners. Uh, So it's kind of like a backdoor, you know, communist revolution without any, you know, any shots being fired. Um, But, you know, yeah, we talked about World War II. I mean, you know, we had all these new taxes that came in World War II, part of the victory taxes, and you know those taxes are still here. Ironic you know, withholding, wage withholding. Yeah, Ironic. wage withholding was introduced in 1942. That was an emergency. Having taxes taken out of your pay was an emergency measure to fund the war. Uh, but even after the war ended, for some reason, they never ended uh, the withholding tax. The public just simply allowed it. Now, if if we were at peace, if there was no war. Nobody would have voted for the withholding tax, but the emergency of the war, nobody would oppose it. That's like you had a lot of Republicans. Nobody wanted to oppose this emergency aid bill, even though it's a really, really bad bill. Like even Rand Paul voted for it, which is surprising to me. I mean, there were a few Republicans, uh, maybe eight of them that voted against this. I think it passed 92 to nothing. Uh, but I mean, I would have filibustered it, but you know, these guys, you know, they don't care. Nobody wants to be perceived as saying you can't have something in a crisis, even though the bill is more damaging and everything the government is doing now is ultimately more damaging than the crisis itself. Just like, yeah, just like the government's response to nine 11 did far more damage than the terrorists did by blowing up the trade centers. I mean, it's horrible that they're, that they're single-handedly shutting down all these different businesses. And I don't know if there's anything definitive that says that uh, social distancing definitely works. I mean, who knows how bad this thing's going to get. But, uh, Peter, I know we have limited time. I just have one final question for you. And that when we see this great collapse, this great global financial collapse occurring, do you think that the severity of the situation will allow return of another fiat-based currency to emerge in its place? Do you think we'll see another digital currency? Do you think because China maybe has purchased so many tons of gold, my understanding is that they've purchased 20,000 tons of gold, the U.S. allegedly allegedly has 8,000 tons of gold, that a new reserve currency will be tied to China, a new fiat-based currency will be tied to China? Or at this point in time, do you think that we'll see uh, individual currencies being tied around the world to gold and silver or other hard assets? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's gold and silver. I mean, that's the most obvious. You know, people forget that before the dollar became the reserve currency, gold was the primary reserve. It wasn't the pound sterling. It was it was gold. Uh, all currencies around the world were backed by gold. Everybody had gold reserves, and and, and that was it. But after the war, the war was over, so a second world war, and we had Bretton Woods, uh, we went on the dollar standard, where all the countries would back their currencies with dollars. But the reason that the world went for that was because the dollar was still backed by gold and it was redeemable in gold on demand. 
So if you had dollars, so if you were Germany and you had Deutschmarks and you had U.S. dollars as reserves, you had gold. That's why they said the dollar is as good as gold, because having dollars meant you had gold. In fact, the dollar was gold. That was the definition of a dollar was a specific weight of gold. And the Federal Reserve notes, right, the pieces of paper that circulated were simply claims on the actual dollars that were being held, uh, you know, in reserve by the U.S. government. Uh, and, and so the dollar circulated. And even though Americans were not allowed to own gold based on Roosevelt, that restriction never applied to foreigners. So, uh, you know, foreign central banks could get gold whenever they wanted. All they had to do is present their Federal Reserve notes uh, and they would be redeemed. You know, there was an official rate of 35 to 1 initially. So for every 35 bills, Federal Reserve notes, you had $35, you would get an ounce of gold just by asking for it. Hey, I'd like my gold, right? And, uh, but, but now, you know, we, the dollar's back by nothing. So I think what's going to happen is when the dollar loses its reserve status, I don't think the world is going to look for another government to anoint as the printer of the reserve currency, given how badly, uh, you know, it, it, it ended with the U.S., so I just think the world is going to revert back to um, the system that was in place prior to the dollar, and that's gold. And so I think gold is going to be remonetized. And obviously, when it is remonetized, the price is going to be substantially higher than it is today, which is why I'm telling people to buy theirs now. You know, don't wait for that to happen. You know, you know just read the, the tea leaves and, and prepare for it now. Mr. Peter Schiff, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Peter is the co-founder of Europe Pacific Capital, founder of Schiff Gold. Laura Robana, I'm going to his website at shiftgold.com. I just want to bring also to everyone's attention that if you are going to work with somebody in terms of gold or silver, financial investing, I'm not getting any commission by saying this, but I can't see why anyone in their right mind wouldn't want to go with Peter Schiff, considering the fact that he's been ahead of the curve for 20 years, and he's also a passion patriot, knows what freedom is, and I think that of all the people that are out there, I think Peter's one of the few people that has been consistently been the voice of reason in a world full of people that really don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, Peter, thank you so much for all your great contributions, and uh, thank you for being with us on the thank show you. today. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth. Special thanks to our amazing guest, Peter Schiff. World of respect for that man. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Caza, and Ms. Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Thank you so much for listening.